Songhezo mapete on the viewpoint. Let's go back. Let's go back, guys. Let's go back. It's necessary every now and then just to remind ourselves as to who as a nation we are, where we come from. This is not designed to scratch old wounds and see the oozing of blood and pus of what was. But perhaps because this is as good a time to reflect as we have had as a society, we will be in conversation with a gentleman who joined the African National Congress in 1960 and was secretary of the ANC-aligned Congress of Democrats in 1961 in Natal. He was founder member of the Umkondo Wesizwe MK as a member of the Natal Regional Command in 1961 and commander of Natal Regional Command in 1963. Completed a general military course and specialist course in military engineering in Odessa, former USSR, now Ukraine, in 1963 and served for 27 years in the ANC based in London, Luanda, Maputo, Swaziland, Botswana and Lusaka. He was a member of MK's High Command, Chief of MK Intelligence after completing specialist course to the rank of Brigadier in the former USSR in 1993. He served on the ANC's Politico-Military Council from 85 to 89, worked underground for the ANC in South Africa on Operation Vula between 90 and 91. He headed the ANC's campaign section from 91 to 94. He became a member of the Transitional Executive Council, TEC, Sub-Council on Defense in 94. And, of course, from May 94, he was the Deputy Minister for Defense. He served between 99 and 2004 in the Environmental Affairs Department as Minister and his final stint in Cabinet between 2009 and, sorry, between 2004 and 2009 was when he was the Minister of Intelligence. He's armed. He's dangerous. Here is Mr. Ronnie Kuzrils. Uncle Ronnie, good evening. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for It was very nice of you to speak to me tonight. I'm not armed and dangerous anymore. Some of my friends say I'm armless and harmless, but I do use <laughs> my voice, uh, I think, quite often. Um, various causes, Palestine solidarity being one, mm-hmm. and a certain amount of criticism of our government when they go wrong as during the Zoom administration in particular. But great to be with you. Certainly great to be with you. It is an abiding honor of mine to be in conversation really with such a critical part of my personal history as one was interested in how South Africa has achieved the society that 26 years on we are starting to take shape and to appreciate the shortcomings of the democratic projects as we are appreciating its wins. But I really did ask the production team to reach out to you and I'm just bringing the listeners into the confidence of this discussion is of the many things between ourselves we could talk about because I mean you are a fountain of much of the country's history that is still relevant perhaps what we could have a conversation and zero in on tonight is how the democratic dispensation ultimately incorporated the Ronnie Cusrels of this world and those whose names might not be known and as lauded as celebrated as Ronnie Cusrels into first and foremost to the South African society and ultimately into the South African formal economy and formal level levers, I beg your pardon, of governance within the party and at state level. Because 
it is perhaps fair to say there have been some things which are now coming as it were, chickens coming home to roost because there might have been oversight in the real integration of young men and women who left with nothing but a hope to return to a free South Africa one day. And a lot of their lives were appended in the process. They didn't go through the normal things I went through when I was a teenager, going straight to varsity and the good times I might have enjoyed. Those were luxuries few of your generation might have enjoyed. And, of course, coming back into a South African society as divided as it was, as volatile as it was, and could still have been worse, were the powers that be, both of the outgoing apartheid dispensation and the incoming ANC dispensation, alive to the reality of those comrades from the island, underground in the guerrillas or in exile, reading for ultimately to return and lead were they sufficiently reintegrated into the South African society to become, as far as possible, men and women who would ultimately lead the true project of our democracy? Right. Very, very good question. Um, and, of course, it goes very deep mm. into the lives of people who sacrificed to a tremendous degree um, you know, what you're going through here isn't unique to South Africa. We're not the only country in the world where we had a an armed struggle for liberation. Um, and in fact, if you look at a lot of these countries, um, even next door in Zimbabwe, um, in, in the former Portuguese colonies, now independent Mozambique, Angola, Algeria, where there was tremendous armed struggle from as early as 1954, um, and, and countries in Asia, Latin America, and even in Europe after the Second World War, and what happened to the fate of very noble, courageous resistance fighters against the Nazis. Mm. We're not talking here, of course, of the regular armed forces. Yes. Um, we weren't as MK or in Zipra, Zimbabwe, Fredimo, MPLA, parts of Latin America, from Nicaragua as a big example, um, Ecuador and other countries there. Um, the, the former combatants for liberation prepared to put their lives on the line. Yes. And should, in fact, be the ones who get, and they, they're not in it, they volunteer, so they're not, getting, they're not in it for reward, okay? They're not mercenaries. I just want to digress yes. a moment to sure. point that out. Um, they're in it because their hearts, their minds are there to serve their people, and they prepared to do, um, out of all the liberation fighters, the members of a huge liberation movement, ANC is an example or so. Not everyone was a MK combatant. And when we look at it, I'm, I'm afraid to say it's a place to South Africa and, and to these other countries and continents I refer to. The actual people who, who were in the front line and facing death, um, in fact, they don't come out that well overall. Now, in saying that, and obviously you want to go into the reasons why, um, 
sometimes it's education. You know, the people who are part of the liberation movement, wherever it might have been, who go and do the, the, the education and the qualifications as engineers, scientists, doctors, etc. When you have freedom, they obviously in a position to get better jobs and earn money, whether in the public or private sector, earn good money. What is there for the, in our case, let's now just focus, the MK comrades? And I also want to make the point, we really are talking about those essentially who served before 1990. And I'm saying this because there's such amount of of fakery that takes place post that period um, where people are in the veterans, uh, army veterans, the MK Veterans Association, and you scratch your head just at the, the ages and their claims mm. that they're not being looked after. So I, I'm drawing that line. I'm not just ignoring other people. But, you know, we're talking about those who served uh, up to the time that we actually agree to lay down arms, which is essentially 1990 when there's a ceasefire. Um, and what has happened then? Okay, there, there are two stories to it. Because there are a number, quite a large number, who get very good positions in the new South African National Defence Force, as opposed to the old SADF of the the, the apartheid regime, um, and you can see to this day now we most of the top command of the services that's Air Force, Navy, Army, and the medical service of of the military, the top people, the top generals, the top the top brigadier generals generals, the top brigadiers and colonels and so on, do come from the various armed forces um, who were involved in the struggle from whether in a ZAPO, a PAC, a BC, or in the main, it was MK who had the numbers. Mm. Um, so we do have these outstanding examples. And let me also now answer a point you made about did the former racist regime of de Klerk, um, as well as the ANC and the liberation side, uh, have have a, um, a, a, uh, a genuine attitude towards how to incorporate the fighters for liberation movement? Of course, the de Klerk regime didn't. I can remember in the... In, in the negotiations we had uh, on our side, eating the MK side, and the uh, former SADF people, their generals, they actually, on the racist side, with the integration, they actually talked about two of our people becoming generals, and they tried to keep um, most of our people in lower ranks. Mm. Two, we had an incredible battle with them um, and insisted on 18 of our people becoming generals. They they fought that tooth and nail, uh, of course, not in terms of gunfighting. Yes. But, you know, we were in this, 
this transition dispensation. We had to push that through. Um, in the years that followed, there's been the promotion through the ranks to a point where the new SANDF, in its color representation or demographics, is is overall black in complexion and color, even in the areas of Navy and Air Force, where we, as a liberation movement, we didn't have people uh, who, who were commanding ships and flying planes. Ours was a low-level guerrilla struggle, um, mainly people who would join the, the army. Um, but even in these other more technical departments, which you find in the Air Force and the Navy today, they are led and have been for quite a number of years by black African uh, commanders. So bear that in mind. Bear in mind as well that the armed forces um, from both sides, the apartheid armed forces could mobilize something like 700,000 people. Uh, ANC... At the most, we were about 30,000 who had served over the years from the 60s, who people then were rather old and weren't going to really become part of the new Defence Force. And they, they took uh, payment uh, demobilisation along with actually something like 40,000 others who didn't want to come into the Defence Force. Mm. And that's from the ANC from the PAC, Zapo, and so on, yes. um, and who took a payment package at that particular point in time. It was at the most something like 40,000 rand. It was a lot of money, not for, it depended how long you served for. If you served for just five years or so, you you probably came out of that with ten or 15,000. Uh, but people who had been there all that time got a max of about 40,000. Um, which was quite a lot in those days. And then they had to fend for themselves. They looked to the movement to try and place them in retraining. There was a big retraining program that Joe Modisi founded um, to get people the skills to get jobs in City Street. Mm. The Going back to the regime, they didn't care, the apartheid regime. They tried to keep our people's ranks low, as I've indicated, and they weren't interested in what happened to our people. So what do we have at the end of it? There's perhaps two stories, and it'll be interesting for you to get the voice of those who feel marginalized. I have empathy with them. We set up a military veterans department of the defense, of, of the um, defense Department of the Defence Military. It had just been Department of Defence. It became Department of Defence and Military Veterans with a Deputy Minister in charge of that. Um, unfortunately, it's been bogged down, I would say, by a lot of bureaucracy. Um, I, I don't want to go into accusations of whether there was elements of corruption, which we've seen throughout the state. Um, but I don't think that that's, they've done a very good job. And I've, I've had examples myself of trying, as, as, as someone who was retired from ministry and, and, and the state, trying to assist some 
comrades who were hard done by, who felt that they came out um, in in a way in which they they hadn't received what they they should have. You know, we set up a struggle pension as well as the payout of the demobilisation. The struggle pension is meant to to apply to all those liberation movements and groups uh, and everyone, not just those who served military, but mm. those who were members. And um, it's I, I get a pension uh, from from that as well as my government pension. And of course, you know, uh, somebody who served at that top level and who served in MK from 1961, mm. um, I'm, I'm obviously better off than than, than many others. Um, and I'm not alone in relation to what I receive. And, you know, it's not, not something that makes one wealthy at all, but at least it's comfortable. And this is where one has been very concerned about those who, and I've met and I've seen some, we, we have these MK reunions, there's a, an MK council under Sutiwe and Yanda and, um, and uh, Tabang Makwetla, the present deputy minister responsible for for um, the, the um, veterans, so mm. for the veterans department of the military, uh, and and there at those gatherings, sometimes a, a thousand strong, there are a number of comrades who who complain, and you can clearly see the degree to which they are battling now. In relation to the way they're battling, um, perhaps the amounts that government and we were we, we were actually captives of the treasury from '94 when all this was moving forward under Madiba and, and of course ANC government, um, the treasury decisions were how much was available, what the levels of payout would be, and perhaps at that stage it sounded sounded quite generous um but you know but in reality is very different yeah given, given what's happened to people over time and the inflation a lot of people have have been struggling one other point because i'm sure you want to get in with a few questions but the young, I'm quite I'm glad you know that sure one other point also let's face it, I mean, you know, in defense, I'm critical of government, but also in defense, um, government has, attempts to do things. I'm not, not excusing the bureaucracy, the lethargy, the inertia, or corruption. But they're also in society, and I'm, I'm not being severe if I say this. I mean, this is what life is. There are comrades, and, and I know this, <laughs> who receive the lump sum or receive funds and don't look after the money properly and come back and ask for more, and then it's impossible because they've had their payout. I'm not blaming them as such. You know, what I would blame is the fact that many of them, uh, including myself, by the way, if I don't come from a wealthy family or a business background, along with Joe Modisi, Chris Hardy, and others, we knew blessed little uh, about financing and, uh, you know, how you you had a, your budget for the month, etc. I've got you, I've got you. Uh, those who were, were more educated, like the ones I've mentioned, obviously could get to grips with it quite 
soon. But those who, who weren't that educated and didn't really understand uh, what a bank account and running a budget, etc., was about, obviously fell off the bus. Let me interrupt and, you there. I and, get and, it. And, I, I get it. Uh, and and the Ron. government must find ways of rehabilitating such people. Outside the military structures, because I know your bias is there, because you are a military man and we respect you for that, and that's why partly you are on the show. But I think also you were invited because you can actually be pretty frank with the certain truths that this country at times is loath to speak. You mentioned that there were those who largely joined the struggle for no other reason than to liberate the people of the country. There are others who have since gone on to say they did not join the struggle to be poor. This, in fact, is in a way captured by Madiba's words in 98 when he was in the UK on his last official visit to that country when Cheryl Carolus was South Africa's High Commission at the time, around about June of that year, saying that one of the great failures to date, and this is only four years into the dispensation of democracy, that he had noted as early as then was that some of in his words, some of his comrades who were deep in the trenches fighting for this democracy, hard won as it was, have themselves gotten themselves and their hands deep in the levers and pockets of the treasury for self-enrichment. Now, I'm, I'm saying this not necessarily from the perspective of corruption, but rather from the perspective of the fact that the realities were these were men and women who were not trained as I am trained to engage information, to engage resources, to engage the future, to engage my external environment such that certain things are not tolerable. Now, this is somebody who literally comes from the bush, who could have died any minute, saw many of his or her comrades dying, the sense of solidarity, first of all, that one establishes there and then coming back here, the inability to hold each other accountable to the rule of law and to the Constitution, one. The fact that they are as traumatized as they are with PTSD and equally the relationship that they do not have with an ordinary society, not just in the military, but in all spaces where these men and women came back to filter and occupy in South African life. They were holy unprepared. Think about that question. Those of you who are listening, contribute please. Uncle Ronnie Kustrels is on for another 10-15 minutes. We're talking about the reintegration of struggle veterans into South African society post-1994 and if you are specific from 1990 with the start of the negotiations and the unbanning of political formations around the country and the continent and the world over for that matter to return to the country. What are your misgivings about what has since happened? Are we in a position to say these comrades can genuinely hold each other to account? It is my view to you and I put it to you Uncle Ronnie that if you and I were in the trenches and we were able to withstand literally the assaults and the trials and tribulations of being outside home for the reasons we were outside home for, that song that I played earlier on encapsulates the, the true sentiment of leaving. I'm not going to really be in a position to say, look here, Ronnie, this is not how things are done. And if you continue doing that, I'm going to have to do what the law requires of me to do. We have seen how within the ANC, accountability is somewhat of a dicey territory. There are murky waters there. And it has translated now into the state itself. That's why we see the rampant levels of, if not unaccountability or lack of transparency, pure right corruption. And I am suggesting not much was done 
never mind the military space specifically, generally speaking, would you not agree with me that perhaps that is a ball that was dropped? Well, yeah, it's again, you know, pretty complex. You've uh, you've ranged over a number of areas here from the point of um, the reintegration into society, how to how we should have prepared and educated people for that. That's a element there. I think your other key point relates to, and um, this is how I understand you, put me right if I've misunderstood you, how people who were prepared to sacrifice together and, and in that band of brother and sisterhood, the comradeship of struggle, mm-hmm. uh, suddenly it was a question of uh, looking after oneself, feathering one's own nest and the corruption that went with that. That's how I understood where you're going, and, mm. and am I right in that? Sure, yes. yes okay, so it's the big question. It doesn't only relate, and I want to say this, I've had a lot of debates with people who have written various books um, claiming that, and usually, by the way, from a different right-wing perspective, that the corruption, the crime in the country was imported back into the country by exiles uh, as though there was never any basis of corruption within South Africa or any basis for people in South Africa wanting to get ahead, uh, feathering their own nest at the expense of others. Um, We know, for instance, that the apartheid regime itself was riddled with corruption. So it's not as though this ANC or any of the other organizations who had been based outside brought in some pestilence and the country was was absolutely free of crime and corruption. Uh, so that that's obviously nonsense. I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just making a point. This is what one, some people in a misguided way yes, yes. are saying. And these are people who actually... Uh, or, or anti the, the struggle for liberation. I you look it. around, you'll see there are lots of books that have been written along those lines. So I, I, I'll get to the nub of what you're talking about. And it's not so much within the ANC, per se. Um, it, it's something that you've got to see located within a society which is part of a capitalist system that has become increasingly rapacious, individualistic, dog-eat-dog, acquisitive, materialistic. And you can see what I'm talking about. I'm really talking about this capitalist-dominated world we live in. Mm. And it became really extreme um, from the time of Reagan and Thatcher, it came to be called Reaganomics. This was the forerunner of what we call today, I don't like the word, people don't quite follow or understand it, it's a bit of an academic term in a sense, the neo, the global neoliberal economy. You know, it baffles some people. What we're talking about there is from the Reagan-Thatcher years, it was all about privatization, it was all about gobbling up the assets of the state and turning them over to the big capitalists, the big business, the multinationals, uh, which really have dominated the world and have unleashed the forces 
of this rapaciousness of capital that we'd never actually really seen and known. So I, I could see this, you know, I left South Africa in 63, and I was part of that band of brothers and sisters, the comrades, MK liberation fighters, um, who hadn't really been touched by the capitalism of South Africa, basically humble working class people or students um, and so on later, and wonderful comrades who prepared to sacrifice their lives post-1976, right through to 1990. But one began to realize, and it's, I'm not condemning them, there was a bit of a change in lifestyle, even seen mm. in exile. And, uh, you know, the comrades that I might be talking to uh, about the post-76 as compared to the, the 96 group were coming out of a different South Africa, which those of us in exile kind of were taken aback by. Um, you know, these, these were, were, were young people of working-class families, for sure. Yes. Um, but they were mirroring what we didn't realize was being reflected in South Africa, and that was the commercialization, the commodification of everything. And I can remember coming and working with Comrade from the frontline states in underground, you know, we didn't have too much money to go around. And if they got any funds, they would buy fancy um, shades, you know, dark glasses or some oh. fancy clothing. Oh. Whereas the nineteen sixty group were quite content just to, to wear some pretty rough clothing, you know, that you'd buy sure. in, in a, um, a, a a rural store, quite frankly. Now, I, I, you must understand, and listeners must understand what I'm saying. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm talking about how we all affected by not an ANC or a, a ZAPO or PAC, because, you know, our people in these different organizations actually behave pretty similarly, uh, whether, whether you in the EFF, for instance, or, or, or the ANC or a ZAPO. It's, it's this situation, the, the basis of, 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 of um, power relations in our country or class relations and, and how people have a, a worldview that becomes affected by advertising, by commodification, by the materialism, uh, you know, which we, we've got to try as hard as we can in this country to wean people away from and get them back into what, what has been glorious amongst African peoples, by the way, because they've always been the people to, who had to struggle for a livelihood, which has made a, 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 a real solidity amongst people and a Excellent. solidarity. You know that solidarity of the workers or the poor being rural or urban and it's a wonderful thing that Africa's had. We're now seeing the fragmentation, the atomization of that. And of course it's affected those who are able to get into government at any particular level and who see it then as, well, this is my chance to actually feed. I, I can eat now and I don't care about others. Let alone that it might be the former whiteies, you know, asking to eat. It's actually pretty individualistic, sure. um, and and I would say this is the root cause of what we've got to fight against. And this is where socialism comes in. Let me as interrupt you there, Uncle to, Let me to, inter Sorry, last point, as a counter to capitalism. And you know what that socialism is, my friend? It's what Africans know and have come out of. Correct. Ooh, 
Ubuntu. It, it, it is what informs us as a people. people. It's what informs us as a people. We've got one caller on the line for you. I'm going to put him through. His name is Ngonde in Port Elizabeth. After he speaks, Uncle Ronnie, we're going to play a couple of voice notes that have come through for your attention. And then I'm then going to read a couple of messages. I'm going to ask you, please, to keep your response when you have an opportunity to respond to literally two minutes because that's the amount of time we will have. That will be at the side. end. Eh? So I'll just listen from now until you can maybe go ahead. Excellent. I shall do. Babu Ngonde, good evening. Evening. Pugad. Indeed. Welcome back. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's get down. Let's get down to it. Pungane, I listened to a couple of your instructions about Rune Castle, whom I would call the complete human being. Now, in 1960, 61, he joined ANC in that's about when I was born. So I call him a complete human being, just like I would call complete human being Dennis Goldberg. Anyway, mm. so you also said um, he spent some military training in Ukraine, previously called Odessa. That reminds me of the book I read by Frederick Forsyth, Odessa File. The same author who wrote David Jekyll. Now, I want to find out from him one, if he had met Che Guevara, who fought with Fidel Castro, mm-hmm. the revolutionary, in the truest sense. Number two, he must not worry about the ANC being corrupt. Okay? I'm saying this thing because the ANC is a broad change. And Oliver Tower himself, in the early 60s, noted this when he said in, in the book wrote by J.R. Fisher, who are time remembered that within the ANC, Tambo said this in the 60s, within the ANC, there are those of us who have got capitalist tendencies. Anyway, I once had a, a complete conversation with a brother of mine, SXMK, who said it was the disgust in exile that they've got to form what is called a KDAC development committee for the mere reason that they are not known, right, internally, in the MDM structure and whatever. So to secure their jobs, they must be formed in exile, what is called the Cater Development Committee. Lastly, mm. I remember him in 1992, um, during Opa whatever, and I must say, Songhezo, he was not like Sir Ramaphosa, you know, Ramposa's eyes were wide open. He appears to be scared, not Mr. Kazros. So, guys, good evening. Thank you so much, Babu Ngonda. Thank you so much indeed for returning and with the kind of vigor that you always have on our shows. Uncle Ronnie, that's one of our regular listeners. Don't reply just yet. I'm going to read a couple of messages. Can you ask Ronnie if he would be happy selling the SOEs? What is his take about ministers who are going out of the ANC resolutions, e.g. financial policy, land policy, etc.? Songhezo, we always hear of how apartheid security forces killed our African leaders. We never hear of top apartheid leaders who were killed. South African Democratic Teachers Union and its members are not willing to return to the class. Gosh, we're talking about something else here. Songhezo, does Mr. Kastrol's help us understand how Carl Niehaus 
came to be a prominent representative of MK veterans. Please, that's Kona in KZN. Let's go to Chapter 2. Good evening. The ANC took power in '94, and it also inherited the same oppressive behavior of the apartheid regime. As nothing has changed for the betterment of the majority, poverty and inequality is vibrant. Government should cease this opportunity should seize this opportunity to rebuild our economy and rectify their past mistakes and take a firm stance on corruption. Finally, good evening. I just got a question to the uncle. All that effort, commitment, sacrifices you have made for the country, do you feel fulfilled on the way things are right now or is there more to be done? Finally, we have one voice note to play for you, for your attention, after which I want to ask you to respond. My brother, we see you if you can ask for me from your guest about <coughs> Solomon Matangu, may his soul rest in peace. If Solomon Matangu was actually a person that was an expert in using a gun, could he be able to defend himself? <coughs> because I kind of doubt he, the way that he died and whether, um, you know, like, uh, was he could he be uh, like was he an expert in arms and stuff like that Thank you. the platform is now yours uncle ronnie you have two minutes maybe three, three. minutes that was a huge number of questions three so minutes i'll give you three them all justice sure just respond to what comes to um mind. i think on solomon matlangu that was a bit indistinct um but Solomon Atlangu, in training, when he came out in 76, showed himself to be exceptional with weaponry and also with his, his brain. And he had a wonderful courage and outstanding in every sense. So people who came out, many of them and the majority were going for six months, one year training. Um, we were looking for a smaller number who could receive very quick training and be turned around to get back into the country and immediately um, hit the Boers, uh, as we called them, uh, you know, with weaponry. Um, so he he went back in, and we know about the arrest that took place, but he didn't have a weapon with him. Uh, the weapons he was going to be receiving once he was into the underground within Soweto, um, and, and he was captured, but he showed his incredible courage in the way that he faced death. Mm. Um, Carl Niehaus and the the um, MK military veterans, uh, you know, this is where you find the corruption. Uh, the, the, the military veterans led by Kenny Mafatswa, who was a deserter from the ANC camps in Uganda, uh, he's a bedfellow of, of, of um, Carl Niehaus, they supporters of, of Zuma. These, these are guys who, in, in my opinion, have really sullied the name of, of the ANC and MK. Um, the question, which was a very important one, about do I have regrets? Uh, we, look, we came to a point in 1994 where apartheid was overthrown. Uh, we got into a new democracy where everybody has a universal franchise, the right to vote, uh, and many other rights. And no matter what problems we have now, and, and there are many and many obstacles that we have to get over, we achieved the overthrow of that hated system. 
And, uh, you know, this was a tremendous victory. I've got absolutely no regrets that I gave my life for that end. What I do regret is the slow pace of the change from 94. The need somebody asked about the ANC resolutions and why government doesn't implement them. And that's, that's up to then the, the rank and file of the ANC, the alliance and civic society to push the government to a great level of economic equality. This is the big big fight, the big struggle that, that we have today. There was a question right at the beginning about Che Guevara. Let me, I think I've outrun the time here a lot. Yeah, that's your final I, comment. I that's your final Che comment. Guevara in Dar es Salaam when, when I was working for the ANC in the office there in 1965. He had just come out from the Congo where he had been involved in trying to develop the armed struggle there with the patriots of what we call the DRC Congo to this day. Um... So I, I, I oh, the re, a deployment committee was that was a question. We did do everything we could. Uh, well, not everything we actually could achieve. I'm going to ask you to round up, Uncle Ronnie. We really are out of time. High on the agenda, and it, it didn't work sufficiently enough. Uh, let me end off by saying that the answer to most of these problems is with the Ministry of Defence and the Department of Veterans Affairs. And that's where the questions must go. That's where the pressure must be applied so that we can have a relook at the fact that your program is well brought out. And that is that not everybody who is involved in giving up their youth and their lives, in fact, and they're better part of their lives to bring about freedom, that there are too many who are still struggling and who still need to be supported. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much to you, Uncle Ronnie. You have yourself a wonderful evening. We'll be in touch again, probably not on radio, because it's clear you have a lot to say on the subject. 2050, everybody, we play a song now, 2020 summer season of the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra.